produced by the iLab at WBUR Boston. Welcome to Kind World. I'm Yasmin Ammer. And I'm Andrea Aswahe. So Yasmin, do you have any kind of interesting friendships in your life? So I was in marching band in high school, as you know. I played clarinet. And there's this upperclassman. She really did not like me for some reason. I can't tell why. But um, I caught her rolling her eyes a few times. She was really quick to point out flaws. And all of a sudden, we became really good friends. Like by the end of that first marching season, she would even give me rides home when I didn't have one. I mean, that's a huge difference, right? You're jumping from not liking each other to she's giving you rides home. So do you remember how that happened? Well... It didn't happen overnight. I don't remember the exact moment, but I will say we spent a lot of time together. And I think in that time, we realized that even though we have different ways of doing things, we both come from really good intentions. And I think that's why we became good friends by the end, because we saw the good in each other. Yeah, I think taking the time to get to know each other, to really appreciate the other person and and realize they're coming from a good place, I think that makes for a really interesting and surprising friendship. And that's exactly what this week's story is about. April 10th, 2015, started like any other day for Mark Joseph Pareto and Luke Hutchins. Neither expected it to be the most traumatic day of their lives. Mark was on Interstate 65, driving from Indianapolis to his home in southern Indiana. He had been in the city for a business meeting. Luke was also driving home on the opposite side of the highway, heading north. I was sent home from McDonald's, where I held a job for six years, and I got in my vehicle and proceeded to go home. I was driving down uh, 65. As I was driving along, I was in the left lane, and there was an F-150 probably around a length of, of, of seven to 10 car lengths in front of me. I don't know how many, you know, how many feet that quantifies into. But his brake lights went on, and then that distance between us closed rapidly. And so I started to slow down rapidly, and there was cars like behind me. There was another car. I didn't want to hit him from behind. I didn't want to be hit from behind. So I pulled left on the shoulder, and there was a car coming right at me. A car had crossed the median into Mark's side of the highway and was pummeling straight toward him. And I ran into three vehicles head-on at 70 miles an hour. And they were also doing 70 miles an hour. And I didn't make it home. I didn't even have a chance to get uh, the full no when I yelled no out. 51-year-old Mark, then 47, was rushed to a local hospital where he was diagnosed with severe fractures in his left foot and the left side of his face. He was confined to bed for nearly six months. He was in constant physical pain. The foot reconstruction was excruciating. And there was a lot of medication to stop that pain. Uh, Even with the medication, it hurt. But the emotional pain that accompanied his recovery was just as bad. He was angry, confused, overwhelmed by the feeling that whoever had caused him this anguish was undermining his entire future. I I was still going through a lot of um, just trying to understand why. Why did this happen to me? Am I cursed? Meanwhile, Luke, then 31, 
was dealing with his own painful recovery. He was flown to the hospital after the accident with two crushed knees, a broken jaw, and fractures in his ribs and ankles. Then his doctors made a surprising discovery. They figured out that I had two cavernous angiomas in my brain. That's where one vein wraps around several veins inside your brain. And it slowly develops and it cuts off the blood flow of wherever it is. The angiomas caused seizures, some that lead to losing consciousness, which is exactly what happened as Luke was driving on the highway the day of the accident. He was having seizures once or twice a week. And though Luke's doctors eventually stabilized his condition, seizures will randomly happen for the rest of Luke's life. Both men were struggling. But as Mark was recovering, he saw the movie The Way, about a popular spiritual pilgrimage called the Camino de Santiago, a trek from saint jean pied de port in France to Santiago de Compostela in Spain that dates back to biblical times. Mark vowed that if he ever walked again, he would take the journey. And in 2016, he did just that. It usually takes around uh, six weeks to do it. I did mine in 27 days. Uh, for me, there was a lot of uh, being upset, uh, still angry, pleased and happy that I could be in a place like that, but still having a pretty dark cloud with lightning and, and rain coming down. Mark thought that completing the Camino would bring him clarity. Instead, he felt incomplete. He knew right away he wanted to do the walk again, but this time he wanted to bring along the person who changed his life. And so I started doing some research on um, Luke, and then eventually I was able to get a hold of him through his father, and um, uh, his dad set up the meeting of both Luke and myself. As Mark prepared to meet with Luke, he finally learned the details of the accident. Until then, I was like, what was this guy doing? What was he thinking? Why did he go across? You know, I was thinking, did the guy do drugs or something like that? And then I, I came upon it, found out that um, he had a form of epilepsy that was uh, pretty severe. So um, his epilepsy erupted, um, and it erupted in full force that day of the accident. Almost two years after the accident, Mark and Luke sat down together outside of the church where Luke's father is a minister to talk about what had happened. The simple fact that this was something that he couldn't control, that nobody can control, but it was the way things were. It really diminished a lot of uh, the anger that and, and frustration that I had towards him. And we kind of just, I don't know, talked it out. And that's when he invited me to go to Spain. Mark told Luke about the Camino de Santiago, and invited him to walk the journey with him in hopes that the trek would help them both heal. Luke was shocked. He'd never left the country. He'd never even been on an airplane. You know, I'm from a little bitty town. I mean, I barely even went to Louisville. So when he offered me a free trip to Spain, I mean, I was really like, wow, really? Eight months later, Mark and Luke arrived at the starting point of the Camino. They set off on their journey together, walking over the Pyrenees and into Spain. Luke's first challenge was a mountain. I was really in bad condition because I didn't prepare for it and I had no idea what I was getting into. The first day, he was having trouble with um, 
his medication and um, keeping food down. And he was like, I can't keep going. I can't carry this pack. I, I can't do it. And so um, I threw his pack with my pack and uh, it took a lot of the stress off of his body. I, I just was barely able to complete that first mountain. He was able to recover and uh, he was committed to going. Mark and Luke made it up that first mountain and into Spain. For five weeks, the pair walked through rural towns, over hills, getting to know each other. Luke even challenged himself by walking on his own. There was one point where I was walking 10 miles by myself, and I remember quoting Psalms 23. And it says that, Yea, though I walk through the shadow of death, I shall not fear no evil. That really helped a lot, because I could have had a seizure at any time during this trip. And walking alone for those 10 miles really helped me feel independent and have hope that I could do anything that I wanted. Luke only experienced one seizure during the entire trip, and Mark was by his side to help him afterward. And as the two men grew closer, they opened up and shared their feelings about the accident. He kind of told me what was going on and that he pretty much um, needed to forgive me and needed to forgive himself. And I felt the same way, that I needed to forgive myself for what happened. I never expected uh, an I'm sorry uh, from Luke. Because in the end, I was trying to find an understanding, and through an understanding, I think I would be at peace. And if people out there can say, well, that understanding is forgiveness, well then, yeah, give it that label. 37 days after leaving St. Jean-Pierre-de-Port, Mark and Luke arrived at Santiago de Compostela. And just as quickly as the journey started, their trip was over. Luke says after his travels, he was filled with hope for his future. I look at things totally different now. Hey, I can do whatever I want. I'm not stuck. And Mark says he's finally found the path toward peace he longed for after that life-changing April day. And I think I was trying to find ways to lift uh, my life and his and give it meaning and give it purpose and create a next step in the journey that would lift both of us if we walked our separate ways or continued uh, on a walk together. Mark and Luke found friendship and healing after facing trauma together. And now they'll have a fellow traveler through life's winding trails. We'll have more Kind World after the break. Welcome back to Kind World. I'm Andrea Aswahe. And I'm Yasmin Ammer. So, Andrea, I know you're not much of a hiker. No, ma'am. I'm an indoor girl. <laughs> but I love hiking, and I love spending time outdoors. And aside from just being outside, enjoying nature, another really cool thing about hiking and camping 
is the community of people that you'll meet along the trail. So my husband and I have met so many people and they've been so friendly and helpful when you need them to be. Now, I'm sure that's great and all, uh, but I, I have to say, like, one of the things that scares me the most about being out there in nature is something happening to me. I mean, what if I hurt myself or I get lost or what if I need help? That happens sometimes, and that's exactly what a hiker named Brittany Goodson was facing a few years ago while she was on the Pacific Crest Trail. But then a small town stepped up to help her and a whole lot of other hikers. I want you to hear Brittany telling her own story to producer Zach Ezor. This piece originally aired in 2015. My name is Brittany Moser. Actually, it's now Brittany Goodson because I just got married a couple months ago. And I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail, also known as the PCT, uh, in the summer of 2013. I've gone about 2,100 miles approximately at this point. We were in a place called Indian Heaven, uh, which is gorgeous. It's around Mount Adams. It had been pouring for about two days. We're up pretty high trying to get out of this storm and realized that the more we hiked, the higher we were going to go and the more we were going to be in the way of lightning and thunder and all these things. We decided to stop at 6 o'clock, which was fairly early for us, and stopped early and set up our tents in like this just pouring, pouring rain. Went inside and tried to hide for the night. When I went to bed that night, I was expecting it to stop raining. And when I woke up, (laughs) there were drops of water that were collecting above me on the poles of my tent and just dropping like one by one straight onto my forehead. And below me on my tent floor, there's about two inches of standing water that had seeped up through the bottom of my tent. My sleeping pad was about two inches thick and it was kind of like sleeping on a pool raft (laughs) where you're suddenly finding yourself like floating in your own tent. That's when it really sent me into a panic mode where I was like, oh my gosh, you have to start thinking like, what if it doesn't stop raining? What kinds of things do I need to do to keep myself safe? We started hiking. Um, I'm getting very discouraged. It's going uphill, which is the only thing keeping me warm because by now it's hailing, it's freezing cold. I'm looking on my maps trying to find anything. Um, And what I found was a road crossing, which was 12 miles away from where we camped. And there was an outhouse that was at the very front of the trailhead there. And in my head, I was like, outhouse, yes, outhouses have roofs. Like, this is good, this is good. It was the only thing getting me going through that whole morning. It was like, all right, I'm going to make it to that house. I'm going to have my lunch sitting on the toilet. By the time that I got there, I realized not only did it have a roof, but it had a tiny, tiny little porch that was attached to it that had just enough covered space where you could hide somebody in there and you could get relief from the rain. Uh, Of course, I wasn't the only one who thought that. By the time I got there, there were probably 16 other hikers crammed into this small little space. A lot of them, their tents had collapsed on them in the night. And to most people who had down sleeping bags, they were soaking wet. They knew they couldn't make it another night without drying out their gear. And we knew we we had to do something in order to make it better. What we learned was that there was a little town called Trout Lake that wasn't very far away. I think it was about 30 miles by car. And there was a hiker that was in town who had heard that we were all up there. And the lady that owned the convenience store there had given him her truck 
And he drove it all the way out to this outhouse. And so we're standing there underneath the, the outhouse roof, jumping up and down, trying to stay warm. And all of a sudden, this giant truck pulls up and a through hiker gets out. And we're all like, there's a through hiker in a car. And so we all piled into this truck. We drove back into Trout Lake. The whole length of the town ran along this one main street that we could have walked from end to end. You know, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, there's nothing they can do. This town, this little Trout Lake, is it's tiny. We needed something bigger. We needed a place to stay. We needed a place to go. But... Here we are in this little town that, you know, we needed help and we weren't sure where to get it. The lady at the convenience store pulled out a register that I think she'd been keeping over the years of people in town and had started looking up people and started calling them. Like, hey, there's hikers in town that got forced out by the storm. They don't have anywhere to stay. Whatever you can do would be great. Much to our surprise, people started showing up in cars. They start picking up through hikers and start taking them home like they're adopting them, you know? And one by one, these, these hikers just, they, they get taken by the people of this town. Like, all she had to do was ask, like, hey, there's people here that need help. And they didn't ask any questions, they just showed up. We ended up at this little ministries camp. The woman who ran it, she already put up signs on all the doors that said, like, PCT boys, PCT girls, you know, that showed us where we were going to sleep, their little bunk rooms. We were just like in awe. Like this morning I woke up and I was cold and I was wet. And now I am have been taken home by this wonderful, these wonderful people who have like accepted me into their, their home and you know, without anything asked in return. And they had saved the lives of more than one hiker that would have, you know, gotten hypothermia. It's a life-changing memory. It's a, an experience that like today, you want to share and you want to tell people that, you know, when you feel like the world is down and everything's kind of dragging you lower, there are people in this world that just lift you up and even on your worst day, you can have a good day. That was Brittany Goodson telling her story to producer Zach Ezor. Next week on Kind World... A white supremacist almost killed Race Buyan nearly 20 years ago. Race forgave him, but then did the unexpected. Instead of hating him, I saw him as a human being like me. I got a second chance. Why shouldn't I you know, campaign for him to get a second chance as well? That's next week on Kind World. Kind World is a production of WBUR, Boston's NPR station. Paul Vikas and Matt Reed do our sound design, and Iris Adler is our executive producer. I'm reporter and producer Andrea Aswahi. And I'm reporter and producer Yasmin Amr. We're still accepting applications for our spring 2020 intern. If you're interested in helping our team produce podcasts, send us a resume and a little bit about why you want to work with us to ilab underscore internships at wbur.org. That's I-L-A-B underscore internships at WBUR.org. You can find out more information about our internship program on our website, WBUR.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.